Ben Moore has been in love with bees for as long as anyone can remember. And as far as we can tell, the feeling is entirely mutual. Although he still sometimes feels the sting of his passion. Hang around, learn a little. It's as sweet as honey and always a buzz. It's the Ultimate Pollinators Podcast with Ben, his friends and associates, and of course, Ben's Bees. Hey everyone, Bees with Ben. Got another fantastic episode on this week. I've got Helen Charles from friendswithhoney.com.au and I'm super excited for this because this is talking about education and educating about bees, these very crucial little pollinators. And bees are more than just honey. I'm going to be talking to Helen all about these different aspects and what she does because it is absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Helen. Oh, thanks, Ben. Really excited to be talking to you today. Oh, awesome. <laughs> now, we're just uh, chatting uh, just before. You're up to something pretty cool today. What were you doing today? Oh, yeah. So today I have been working on a project um, with a fantastic local organisation, community organisation called Raw Australia. Um, and they have been working on a project to um, encourage um, bees in their permaculture garden. Awesome. And part of it has been learning about how to keep bees. So um, one of the things that uh, was a part of the project was that they um, learnt how to build a beehive. And so um, getting the local community involved, we actually um, managed to um, bring in the men's shed, the local men's shed in Brighton East, and um, they were able to build the hives um, for us. And today I was over at the men's shed um, showing them how to build the frames that go inside the hive. So I brought over um, a little wiring jig that we used to build the frames and they absolutely loved it. They had such a ball um, building these um, beehives. So I think that it's definitely um, got them a bit more interested in bees. It's all about spreading the word. A lot of people, okay. you know, sort of know a little bit about bees, but there's so much to learn. <laughs> oh, no, there certainly is. And, and so with the beehives, did they make them from a, a flat pack or did they make them from scratch? Uh, from a flat pack, actually, yeah, which awesome. was quite interesting. So they do a lot of other stuff from scratch, but um, and I'm sure after doing this little project, they'll probably their minds will be ticking over, um, thinking about how they can potentially create some from scratch in the future. Hopefully, that is so cool. And there's so many obviously yeah. different hives: Langstroth hives, top bars, you know, worry. So that is so cool. So, so I'm going to jump into the yeah. question: uh, bees. How did you get started in bees, Helen? <laughs> Good question. I have always been incredibly into nature, but I probably sort of started getting super interested. I spent quite a few number of years, about five years in Canada, and I had some family there that were commercial beekeepers in um, Alberta. They had like a beekeeping operation with over a thousand hives. And so I guess I started getting exposed to all of this talk about bees and the fascinating superorganism that they are. And so I think that my um, sort of, I guess, curiosity was aroused and I'm, I knew that when I got back to Australia that I really wanted to um, get into beekeeping. But before I got into beekeeping, I started my, like doing a lot of gardening. 
And so um, through my gardening, you know, I'd noticed that there are a lot of bees in the local area. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, by seeing these bees, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm already getting a lot of bees in my area. So I need to start learning more about beekeeping. So I joined my um, local beekeeping club and then I got some bees from you there, of course. <laughs> and I really have not looked back since. So, um yeah, I, 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 my journey just continues. I think it's something um, that you're always learning about um, and that's what I love about beekeeping is that there's always something new to learn. I totally agree, Helen. Absolute, 100% agree. And so what are, now you're working on quite a few different projects, aren't you? So various yeah. sort of um, government sort of bodies and things. So, so tell us about all of those, what you're up to now. Yeah. Well, actually, most recently, one of the projects that I've been working on um, is I'm I'm a big believer in, um, you know, the more that you know about nature and the more that you can identify and understand what's going on around you, the more that you can love and protect nature. Um, and one of the areas that is quite fascinating is citizen science. I don't know if you've heard of citizen science before. Yes, tell us all um, about that because that's all about like data collection. Is that right? Yes, yes. it is. So that's basically true. citizen science offers the power of science to people and the power of people to science. Um, and so um, there's a lot of citizen science projects out there in the world. Um, in particular, um, I was working on a citizen science toolkit that promoted an app called iNaturalist. Um, and iNaturalist is fantastic. It enables you to go and in your own backyard or in national parks and reserves and take photographs of nature, whether that be bees or European honeybees or native bees or native plants or any wildlife um, in your local surrounding area. And then you can document that through taking photographs, um, recording sounds and uploading it um, onto the iNaturalist app. Um, and that then, um, in uh, that data is then verified by um, identifiers who will be able to help you to identify whatever you've observed to the species level. And then that data then go is used by scientists and land managers to make really important decisions um, about the environment. So a lot of the observations um, that are research quality in iNaturalist feed to what called the Atlas of Living Australia, which is used um, by a lot of land managers. And, you know, it helps to identify invasive species. It helps to document where there's potentially um, gaps in land management um, areas. And um, so it's, it's um, citizen science is such a great way that anybody can contribute um, to protecting nature. Wow, that is awesome. And it, it'd be so awesome cool. for uh, like pest species because I remember, this is quite a few years ago, I, mm. I, I saw something that was a little, um, I, I thought it was a little native uh, bee, but then done some research and it turned out to be an African carter bee, which aren't, oh. which, which aren't, which aren't actually invasive or destructive, yeah. like say European wasps for that matter. But it was, it'd be an awesome little platform for people to identify it as well, you know, some yeah. species. Yeah, absolutely. And like organisations like Parks Victoria, for example, have um, uh, like uh, areas in the back end that then they're able to see, you know, if somebody might identify a pest species. So they're able to act on it fast. Um, the other thing which is quite interesting um, is that um, there's so many undiscovered species yes. in, um, in Australia that we don't even... Um, have names or haven't 
fully identified them yet. And so quite often it's citizen scientists who are discovering these species um, and then uh, through that, um, you know, they, they quite often get naming rights to, to, the, to the particular species that they've discovered. So it's really cool. Like um, a lot of people don't know that um, in Australia, we have around about two and a half thousand species of native bees, but only about 1,600 have been named so far. So there's still a lot of even native bees that are mostly sol- solitary or semi-social that um, we haven't yet identified. Wow, that's so cool. I, I like the yeah. idea of that, having a, a bee, you know, discovering a bee and calling it Ben Morii or something. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, last month was actually um, International Citizen Science Month. And um, the last weekend of the month was a um, City Nature Challenge where um, people um, in Melbourne um, were asked to go, you know, and try and look at, um, record some of the biodiversity in their own backyards to contribute to citizen science. So um, it's a really great way to connect with nature and understand a little bit more about what's happening in your own local area as well. Yeah, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. I absolutely love that, citizen science. And uh, so you also previously worked on quite a few other projects. Um, what are those ones, Helen? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, well, my, um, my business um, is uh, called Friends with Honey. And so I have been um, putting together a lot of programs for um, adults and children um, to uh, promote the importance of our powerful pollinators. So um, one of the um, programs that I've put together is um, a program for um, preschool and kinder children um, where I go out and talk to kids about the importance of bees in our environment. Um, And uh, I bring a custom beehive that I've made and inside the the frames are actually little finger puppet bees. And um, the kids um, get to... um, see how bees pollinate plants and why that's so important for our environment. And so they get to see the connection between pollination and the food that we eat. Um, so I've been doing quite a bit of work in that sort of early childhood area um, to teach kids, you know, that bees are great and bees are important for the environment. That is fantastic. I love that because children make the best audience. You know, they're so full of beans, so full of enthusiasm, little yeah. sponges that want to learn. So uh, any funny sort of scenarios you've had happen when you're sort of doing a class with children? <laughs> That's really great. Well, it's, it's actually really cool. One thing that always amazes me is how much the kids know. Um, this, you know, like just in terms of even um, the parts of the bee. So I bring in um, a queen bee and her name is Bella. And the reason why she's called Bella is because the first European um, honeybees came over on a convict ship called the Isabella um, in 1822. And, um, and so I bring Bella and um, she's, she's the queen bee of the hive. And then we get to identify different parts of her body, like the antennae and what color are bees and how many wings do bees have. Um, and one thing that I absolutely love is I always say to kids, um, where does the buzz sound come from? And a lot of kids, you know, yell, from their mouth. And I always tell them it's not from their mouth. It's because they flap their wings at really high speed and that's where the buzz comes from. That's so cool. And there's so many different sort of paths when we look at sort of education too because we look at, I think, September is um, Rosh Hashanah, which is Jewish New Year. 
and the, and yeah. the Jewish culture symbolise it's their um, symbolism for prosperity, the new year, you know, with and they dip honey in. Uh, sorry, an apple sliced bit of apple into the honey to actually symbolise the uh, prosperity of the new year. So it's so so cool. And oh, what about uh, adult sort of education? You do a little bit of that too, Helen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, interestingly, I, I am a um, certified permaculture designer. Um, and so I've also been working on a program that I've delivered, um, which is an introduction to urban permaculture. Um, and permaculture is really all, it's really like a design system um, that aims to mimic the patterns in nature. And so it's based on the ethics of earth care, people care and fair share. And um, with the permaculture workshop that I do, I talk about the 12 guiding principles um, and how they can be used to, to help design your garden, um, to be friendly to pollinators, of course, yeah, but um, also to be able to create a sustainable future. So, so when we're talking permaculture, you know, mm. for those that don't know, you just touch base on it, but let's say in someone's garden, is that like, say, having a, a wicking bed? You know what I mean? That type of thing. Yeah, that is such a great question. So in, interestingly, um, so uh, definitely permaculture uses a lot of um, really uh, important gardening, tech, sustainable gardening techniques. Um, in particular, one that we talk about quite a lot is called no dig. And the idea of no dig or kind of a bit like the wicking beds is, to, um, is basically to put um, compostable matter on the earth rather than sort of digging and disturbing the soil too much. How what we're doing is nurturing the soil um, by putting um, uh, really uh, fertile compost on the top um, and that or create, nurtures the plants and creates a yield. Um, so, yeah, definitely wicking beds are, um, you know, quite often used in permaculture systems. But um, a lot of permaculture is really about sort of a sustainable mindset. So whilst there are lots of really good gardening techniques like mulching and pruning, um, it could also be applied to your home where you might look at retrofitting your home to make use of passive solar and reducing your energy bills, of course, which is always really popular. Um, with people. So um, with the urban permaculture um, uh, workshop that I do, I really sort of try and make it as accessible as possible and talk about some really easy solutions for people to implement to make their homes and their gardens um, more, more efficient. Absolutely love it. That's so cool. Mm. It's funny talking about composting. Now, I've recently just uh, learnt, I haven't bought one, I haven't done enough research, but a electric compost that you put in your kitchen. I think Breville oh. make one and I think there's one on Amazon called uh, Lomi, Lomi. And, and Lomi, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And it's They're really cool. Actually, my, um, <laughs> I was just talking to a friend from Canada about the Lomi on the weekend. We were walking through the Royal Botanic Gardens and talking about that. <laughs> so, yeah. it, it is interesting because it's like a, it's a, it mulches up your, your, your scraps and your sort of biodegradable yes. products. And then also it's got yes. like a dryer, so it dries, it turns into dirt, doesn't it? It's along those yes, lines. yeah, I have heard of this. Um, I, I use, I do a couple of different composting systems. So um, I have a worm farm um, and I've got about three different compost bins. Um, but where I keep my bees um, in, well, I have a, an apiary in amphitheatre in regional Victoria. Um, and, um, and obviously, you know, it's on four acres of um, rural conservation land yes. up there. Um, and so there's, 
we, we find that just the earth gets all of the grasses fall every year and there's all this like natural compost happening all the time so it's the world of compost is fascinating i'm a, I'm a massive composter love compost <laughs> oh, it's, it's really good for the environment as opposed to going to landfill you know throw on you know uh, potato skins you know banana peels and throwing them in the garbage actually composting and putting them back into it and, and i've seen a difference with my tiny tiny little garden is yeah. you know, like worm juice, you know, worm casting juice. Yeah, it's like it's like even the the plant steroids almost. You know, they absolutely love it, absolutely mm. love it. And um, yeah. And so, Helen, what about obviously with your bees? So, talk us about sort of your you know keeping bees. Is there a particular, yeah. I suppose, style or that you like? Is it we all keep bees in a different way? But like, are you sort of more you know the Langstroth hives with sort of full. Yes, yeah, such a that's such a great question, Ben. So I, I um, so I have um, urban bees in Melbourne in Brighton East, and then I have um, so I've got a couple of beehives in Brighton East, and then um, on my in um, so we've got forty three acres of rural conservation land um, that I'm turning into a massive top big pollinator oasis, um, and. And so keeping bees in a rural area is quite different from keeping them um, in, you know, an urban backyard. I use the Langstroth type. Okay. Um, I did at the start have a flow hive, um, but I just decided not to use it. I, I, I just felt the more that I learned about bees, the more like I, I sort of liked the Langstroth method um, and particularly, you know, obviously for checking the hive for pests and diseases. But um, I have heard people who have flow hives who rave about them. Um, but, yeah, I, I use the Langstroth hives, um, build my own hives. I love building hives. It's so much fun putting all the bits and pieces together. <laughs> um, yeah, with, with the one thing that's quite different from urban backyards to keeping bees in um, regional Victoria, obviously, is the flowering resources. Yes. So in um, in Brighton, where I keep my bees, there's pretty much floral resources for them to forage on 12 months of the year. Um, and so, you know, that's never really a concern. Whereas um, in amphitheatre, um, you know, there's not things flowering all year. So that's why I've been really quite um, calculated about what I've planted there so that I can um, look at, what flowers at different times of the year and try and plant stuff that will um, give them things to forage for 12 months of the year. And um, I've used some really good guides from the Wen Bee Foundation, okay. um, which is a re really, really good resource um, that sort of helps you to decide what to plant and done a lot of research as well, um, looking at the the type of um, soil and um, the type of things that are already in that area because it's really good. A lot of bees have co-evolved with um, plants in in Australia, and so you know, looking at planting natives is a really great way to go. That's cool. What, our amphitheatre, the the town, where's that near, Helen? So um, it's around about twenty minutes from um, Evoca, and it is um, yeah, it's in the Pyrenees Shire. Okay. Um, yep. And the the kind of uh, region is gold fields. Ah, oh, awesome! Have you, have you got a gold yeah. detector? <laughs> that is such a good question. I love it. So when um, when we first bought the property, um, so I had. Um, a man had been living there apparently for 20 years in a shed. Yes. It's rural conservation land, so you can't build anything on it. 
um, that he'd been living in a shed for um, 20 years. And so he he decided it was he'd had enough, it was too cold for him, moved up north. And when we took over the property, um, we um, went through the shed because he just left everything in the shed. And, of course, there was a metal detector there, a gold detector, and uh, it kept the kids amused for, like, hours, like, basically scouring the whole property with the metal detector. But I think that the whole property has definitely – if he'd been living there for 20 years, I think any <laughs> gold that was going to be found <laughs> probably would have. He's taken it because it's interesting because I know I know a lot of beekeepers and a lot of beekeepers go sort of gold fossicking or gold prospecting. <laughs> so it's actually interesting. Yeah. And then once again, sort of being out in nature. Um, that, yeah. You just sort of mentioned about with the flow hive. It's an interesting one where that you know they're a fantastic looking hive and so forth. But obviously yeah. having those plastic frames, you know, a lot of yeah. especially you know if you're a naturalist beekeeper. It's, you know, having plastic in the hive, people aren't sort of that keen on it. And sometimes the bees can sort of not be a bit reluctant to want to respond to it. But it's, it's yeah. positive to note that uh, so many people got into bees because of the flow hive. So, you know, there's yeah. positives and negatives, you know what I mean? Having, and, uh, you know, even though they're plastic and you can, don't have to use the plastic frames, but it's interesting. I just yeah. wanted to, so we've sort of spoken. Yeah, and look, yeah. they're a good looking hive. I tell you, they're, they're, they are very beautiful looking hives. Um but yeah, I, I just, um, I, I've now, um, on my farm, I've built a platform. Actually, it was funny because the, the, the platform had been built and I think that it was originally somebody had built it to build like a tiny home that you're not allowed to build on the, on the land. So I have, um, claimed the platform as mine and I've got like all my hives <laughs> on that and they're all the same Langstroth hives. I just find them like easier to manage. Um, I also use, I've forgotten the name, the, the bottom boards are kind of like um, got these little circles that you can close off for when you're moving the hive. Uh, oh, um, Hive Doctor. Made out of New yes. Zealand. Yes, Hive Doctor. Yes. Yes. yes, and I really like that as well because um, it's sort of, it's good from a pest thing, as uh, pest control as well because quite often they'll, a lot of the stuff, from inside the hive will fall down and um, and it's easy to manage and they're easy to move as well, which is really good. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and mm. now what about the last sort of two years? You know, I, mean, you, you live, I know you're living in a great area for, for bees, as yeah. you mentioned before, you've got that diversity of flora, you get the coastal breeze, so it's a little bit warmer than sort of yeah. more inland sort of Melbourne. How's the last two years been for you, Helen, as far as you know, honey production? Yeah, that's a, a really good question because um, with honey production, so my main goal of beekeeping is actually not honey production for me. Some people it is. Um, my main goal is pollinate. Like I like to see my bees pollinating the local area. Um, so I probably don't take as much honey from my hives as a lot of people. Yes. Um, uh, I still have had honey. Um, consistently um, in Melbourne, like I've got some pretty strong hives in Melbourne um, and, you know, I have harvested honey. Um, I have taken the queen excluders out, um, just, you know, um, just having a little bit of an experiment um, with how that goes rather than having queen excluders in. I've left the queen excluders out um, and I've been harvesting, um, you know, honey from just full frames of honey inside the hive. Um, so yeah, I think, um, but it has been a, I has been tougher, I think, than previous years. Um, in in um, regional Victoria, I think it has been 
tough as well at certain yes. times. You know, there, there's been a lot of rain. Um, like we, we've had so much rain in regional Victoria, uh, you know, all the flooding and that kind of stuff. Um, and so, um, it's, it's not been easy for beekeepers. Yeah, been, been a bit tricky. So, yeah. with regards to the queen exclusive, you said take them out. So, you don't use them at all? You just, you don't use them at all? Or do you just. Uh... Yeah, I, I, I don't with my uh, Melbourne hives. I take the queen excluders out. Yeah, because um, I just, you know, I, like, so I just manage that way. And um, they, you know, it's just something that I've been experimenting with over the past couple of years. Um, and it's worked pretty well for me. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Now I'm going to also yeah. to um, I'm going to put in the show notes your website uh, friendswithhoney.com.au because you got a couple of cool little um, merchandise. Uh, you know, you got some cups and caps, and I love your apron too. The bee beard, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, awesome. absolutely and, love that. And the other thing that we have got, which is coming up, it's World Bee Day on May twentieth. Yes, tell us and, about that. What's um, the plans? We, myself and my partner Ben, Ben's a country music artist, Benny Allen. And um, and so we have been busy writing some cool songs about bees, so um, uh, honeybees and also native bees. And so we've put together a musical kids show um, and we're going to be performing it on World Bee Day at Arco Bar in Heatherton. Oh, awesome. So it's a free community event. And if anybody is free, grab your kids, grab your grandkids um, and come along and sing and have a bit of a waggle dance with us because we've created some cool um, Be Inspired dance moves. <laughs> what's and, the address? Um, yeah, it'll be fun. What's the address, Helen? You know um, it's 8 Arco Lane um, in Heatherton. In Heatherton, in Melbourne. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Yes. Awesome. And it's a music venue, Arco Bar. Um, so... Um, it's it's really it's a really great place. And so your your partner Ben, so he's like a country music sort of uh, singer. Is yeah, he's style? a country okay. music singer. So he goes to Tamworth every year oh, wow. and awesome. um, goes and performs. Yep. So he he um, plays the guitar, but also the piano. Um, but I think we'll probably be doing guitar at this um, show. And um, yeah, he he's won a couple of um, uh, country music awards. Um, for people's choice and, and things like that. So he's very talented. That is so cool. And he's a singer-songwriter. Yeah, yeah. That is so, awesome. And, and so he's also a beekeeper. <laughs> he definitely helps me out. Um, and, uh, and like, yeah, so we've just been inspired to write some, some stuff about bees and kids love it and it's a great way to get them involved. That's awesome. Well, this podcast is uh, going to go – up this week so plenty of time for people listening to check that out because that sounds so so cool and uh and so i suppose last question helen is um yeah. where do you see yourself with the bees in the next say two to five years oh wow yes yeah, so for me um my goal I, I i really love educating people um about bees so for me my goal in the next sort of two to five years particularly for um, my apiary in regional Victoria, is to start to, to really establish the pollinator oasis that I'm creating for um, my bees and um, and just have the all floral resources for them, you know, the whole year. So um, where I see myself is, is very much in terms of that giving habitat to bees um, and Educating um, the community about the incredible importance of um, both European honeybees, but also native bees and other pollinators 
and our biodiversity. So really that education space is huge for me. Absolutely love it. And once again, I'll put the website in the show notes. So everyone, please check that out. Helen, you're absolutely a star. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you for lots. Me. Yeah, learned lots, you know, especially permaculture. I love that. Yes. It goes hand in hand with me. <laughs> so thank you so much and uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you soon. Thanks, Ben. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. How awesome is Helen? I just love her bubbly enthusiasm. So, so cool and so passionate and full of knowledge. Uh, Learned absolutely lots, you know, especially about permaculture is uh, so, so cool. Uh, So thank you everyone to listening. I actually got a couple of uh, text messages I'd like to read out. It's been really cool. And thank you so much everyone for for texting me. Really, if you want to send me a text, uh, shoot me for a text, 0437077792. And now we've got one here from now Dan. Dan's over in uh, WA. This is really, really cool. So, hey, Ben. Great to hear you back on the podcast again. Another great episode. One thing you mentioned towards the start of the podcast that you were thinking of trying the honeycomb in glass jars. I was looking into this myself. However, I thought, why don't we see this in Australia? I'm assuming that it goes against the agricultural laws of having removable frames so they can be inspected. The glass jars would have two to three layers of comb drawn in it so you would not be able to inspect between those combs. My question is, even though they would be above the excluder, would this technique be allowed in Australia? If you find out the answer, please let me know. I guess there is a chance of a queen getting through the excluder or a rogue worker laying in the comb, which would deem the jar unusable. That's a very good point. But would also be absolutely awesome product if it worked out. Our season here in WA was terrible, so it's good to hear it was good over where you are. Cheers, Dan from WA. Now, that's a really, really good point, and I love people who sort of say, you know what, that's a point. Now, is it wrong? Is it, you know I mean? It's actually, you know, there's some very valid points from, uh, from Dan there to actually say that. So, but I think the way I say it is... Having, if you go obviously above your brood hive, your brood box, you can ex- inspect those because it's sort of the, the big ones, AFB, which is in uh, uh, European fowl brood disease. So, so it's kind of maybe it's in that gray area, is uh, but yeah, very, very good point. And thank you so much, Dan, for shooting that through. Actually, got another, um, another text message. Uh, this is from Russell up in North Queensland. Um, Hi, Ben. You asked at the start of the year, what makes a great beekeeper? Well, I've given it some thought. I think it takes a love and appreciation of bees and a curious mind. Sounds like you had a good harvest. It's gone quite up north here since Christmas with a slowdown of flowering after the wet season. Cheers, Russell. Thank you once again, Russell, for the message. And uh, and thanks to everyone who sends me uh, messages. It's um, I love that. You know, a curious mind. Very, very true. Absolutely love it. And until next time, till the next episode, don't forget to take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and take care of those bees. Bye for now.